morally it's wrong and we do not advise that you sleep with any of your professors. It turns out that the concept of inheritance might actually be far more intricate than we originally thought. Can these epigenetic tags also be passed? There's actually no um, way. That sounds so insane that that could also be happening with humans. Yeah, like, yeah just if, a word, guys. Mitosis. Mitosis. <laughs> I tell you, I would pass on and that's anxiety. As <laughs> I know for sure you've been in the bathroom with Pietro. <laughs> <laughs> Auntie's oh. wife is in the department too. Oh, no. My PhD research consisted of the modelling of wet steam flow in large turbines. Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. You're listening to the So Cultured podcast, where we bring you the latest science and tech goss served with a side of piping hot laboratory. We're your hosts, Liv, Yaz, and Taz. Three girls with a passion for science and tech. Look, we've got the credentials, so we should know what we're talking about. We're asking the dumb questions so you don't have to, and obviously all opinions are our own. We hope you guys enjoyed today's episode, and let's get into it. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode three of the So Cultured podcast. If you've not listened to our first couple of episodes, let me just recap what we've been speaking about. So we've gone through how human poo could be used for jet fuel alternatives and how humans could be upgrading themselves using CRISPR. Yeah, guys, I feel like we've learned so much and I'm so excited to see what other kind of topics come up on the podcast. Okay, before we go into today's topic, we're well into the year now. So how is everybody's New Year's resolutions going or did you even make any? I don't know if they're New Year's resolutions, but I set more New Year's goals for the year and I feel like it's Feb, so I wouldn't have met them yet because (laughs) two of mine were to learn how to to get my front splits and then also to learn how to do a muscle up. They were my two New Year's goals and no, I've not done them yet. (laughs) I guess that's just like being consistent and like stretching more in the case of the splits. So fingers crossed that you keep it up. Yes, do you remember when we um, did the month yoga? (laughs) Oh my gosh, we, (laughs) so one of my friends, um, Scarlett, shout out Scarlett, we joined a group chat with Taz. It was like the randomest link up ever because um, they'd never met. And we set our goals to do the yoga with Adrian 30 day challenge. And we would write in every day if we'd done it. That is such a throwback. I can't believe we did that. That was like at least two or three years ago now. I think it was good because you felt like if someone had sent in, like I've done my yoga today, you'd be like, oh, it's 9pm, but I haven't. Yeah, accountability. So that was so good. Maybe we should try that because I loved it. Yeah, I was looking this year and like obviously it's really good because she gives you a whole month of yoga. So like it's not hard every single day and like obviously it, it builds up in yeah. how hard it gets towards the end of the month. So yeah, they, they were really good. But going back to New Year's resolutions, my main ones were make the most of outdoors because I really find... That I stay indoors like so much and I, I kind of like yeah get really comfortable just staying inside yeah. and then as soon as I am able to go outside or do push myself to like go outside like obviously I'm in Australia so I like go down to the beach I'm like oh why don't I do this all the time but it's just like yeah yeah mentality of it so that was one of mine and then my other one was to um exercise more and um 
stuff like that so maybe the month yoga is the way forwards yeah I'm down I'm gonna join that again so I'll remake this group yeah chat. Taz you could literally do it on the beach you could literally do your yoga yeah. on or the you beach. could join like surfing and stuff because you're quite outdoorsy in that sense yeah yeah I'd learned surfing when I went traveling and like that was another thing that we want to do when in Australia but I'm not sure oh. about yoga on the beach because I think everyone everyone in Sydney or at least in the eastern suburbs is like really physically fit and like does yoga on the beach and stuff like that and I just I would just look so stupid I think yeah I'd feel like (laughs) a potato just like trying to do it and everyone else is like really strong but my legs are just shaking (laughs) yeah no literally like when I do yoga it's in the comfort of my own bedroom but yeah talking about health and trying to be better at exercising that's also on my list of new year's resolutions but as well as that, I do drink a lot of wine. I feel like wine has been something that helps me through the stressful mm. times. You do I love a glass of wine. I'm, I love <laughs> it. I wouldn't say I'm dependent on it, but you know, if I've had a long day at work, I'm literally just like, let me just go home via the shop and get a bottle of wine, um, which is probably not the best thing. And so my New Year's resolution is to cut out drinking. Not completely, like I could drink for, you know, odd occasion like birthdays, but just not make it a habit because mm-hmm. obviously that's not good for you. Um, so yeah, I'm just thinking a lot of my family members will also drink socially and have wine a lot. So maybe I just got that from them. Like my mum probably passed down the fact that she drinks wine most days and so do I. But if she calls me, I'll be like, yeah, I'm having a glass too. But is that healthy? I don't know. Well, yes, that's a really interesting point that you've just brought up. And I feel like that takes us so nicely into today's topic. So let's move on to the science that we're going to be talking about today. Okay, guys, so I want to talk all about the study that showed that obese mites inherently make their own grandchildren obese. So we all know that we inherit a multitude from our parents. So traits like hair color and eye color, height, but there's actually more to it. So while obviously, like I just said, we know that some biological characteristics are indeed passed down through our DNA, it turns out that the concept of inheritance might actually be far more intricate than we originally thought, with a new interest in this term called epigenetic inheritance. Oh, yeah, that sounds super interesting. I know that from your PhD, you are probably the epigenetics queen, um, but I'm not even sure what it is. So can you let me and the listeners know what epigenetics is? Yeah, sure. So like you just mentioned, before we get into epigenetic inheritance, let's cover the basics of what even is epigenetics. So epigenetics is the study of changes in gene function that don't involve iterations to the underlying DNA sequence. So essentially in epigenetics, nothing about the actual DNA sequence is changed. But these changes can influence how your genes are expressed, which ultimately will affect an organism's development, behavior and health. And these epigenetic modifications can be reversible and they're thought to be influenced by things like environmental factors, lifestyles and your kind of like life experiences. Oh, so that's really interesting, actually, because I think I remember seeing on your Instagram a long time ago that one of the reasons that you sort of were interested in epigenetics to begin with is because you're a twin and like based on what you're saying and like how... Um, environment and lifestyle can affect that does that mean like how is that like uh, translated in the case of 
identical twins? Are they a good example of real world epigenetics? Yeah, that's a really good question. So yeah, identical twins are my favorite example of epigenetics in the world, which I might be a bit biased for that. But identical twins provide a really interesting example for studying epigenetics. So epigenetics always say that identical twins are like the dream study, like they're just the dream natural studies. And this is because obviously they share basically identical DNA sequences. We spoke about this a little bit in episode one. Um, So identical twins, also known as monozygotic twins, originate from a single fertilized egg that splits into two embryos. So while they start with the same genetic information, like I just said, we know that differences in them can arise over time. So for example, one twin might develop a disease like schizophrenia, maybe lung disease, or maybe even become taller than their twin over time. I think me and my twin are the same height, but we definitely have (laughs) quite a lot of differences. So how does this happen? Well, it's really simple, actually. When you think of epigenetics, you can think of them like little tags that are, rather than changing your DNA sequences, they're just little tags that are actually added onto your DNA, which will influence Mm -hmm. the way that the transcriptional machinery reads your DNA. So you'll hear a lot of people saying that these tags can switch your genes on and off, which I'm not going to lie, I actually don't really like that term, but it is a nice way to kind of help people understand how epigenetics works. Um, But I prefer to use the terms that these tags can actually change the expression of your genes. So rather than switching the genes on or off, they can actually increase or decrease expression of a particular gene. So are these... um... Are these tags random? Do they kind of randomly target the DNA? So we're going to get all into this topic today. Uh, So sometimes they can be random or I don't know if random is the right word, but sometimes they can be influenced by, like I said, things that you do in your life. And then there's also this argument that you're born with a certain specific set of tags, which is all that we're like, we're going to get into this whole topic today. So that's a really good question. So as we were talking about these tags, what does that actually mean? Like, is there just one type of tag or are there different types? Yeah, so we actually have three main types of tags or like three main types of epigenetic marks. So I'm going to run quickly through them now. So the first one is DNA methylation. And this is like the most popular epigenetic mark. When you talk to someone who tells you they study epigenetics, they're probably studying DNA methylation. The reason is because this is just like the easiest one to study and probably the cheapest one to study as well, which as we know in science is quite important sometimes. So DNA methylation is literally this simple. All it is, is you will have a methyl group added to a cytosine base in your DNA molecule. And this modification can affect gene expression in various ways. Then you also have histone modifications. So you know how you have your, um, so if you think about DNA, if I was to take all the DNA out of like one of your cells, Yaz, it would, I think people say it would be like two meters tall. So have you ever thought about how that can actually like fit inside one of your cells? Because you know how tiny cells are, like you're a microbiologist, so you probably know this better than me, like cells are absolutely tiny. You can't even comprehend how small cells are, and I do think that is mad. So you're saying my DNA would be like two meters high. Yeah, I don't actually know. I've never thought of that, of how it it fits. (laughs) Yeah, okay, so it fits into your cell because it will basically fold back on itself and it will fold itself up into like this really tiny molecule. And another way that it does this is that it will wrap around these proteins that are called histones. And this kind of helps it package and organize itself into structures, which we call nucleosomes. So another kind of epigenetic tag is when you have um, 
chemical groups added to these histone proteins, which will basically influence how tightly the DNA is actually wrapped around those proteins. So when we're talking about how epigenetics can change gene expression, it might be that you have a particular tag added to one of these proteins, which changes how tightly the DNA is wrapped around those proteins. So if you were to unravel it, it would actually mean that like a gene along that section of DNA is like more accessible to transcriptional machinery. Whereas if you have a tag that makes it more tightly wrapped around the protein, if it's all wrapped around the protein, then the transcriptional machinery is not going to be able to get to that gene. So the gene expression is decreased. Does that make sense? So just to summarise, this is my understanding of what you just said. If the DNA is wrapped really tightly around these histones, um, it would mean that the transcriptional machinery can't have access to it. And then if they're wrapped less tightly, so quite loose, then they do have access and the gene is expressed. Yes, absolutely. So that's the that was the one of the epigenetic marks is so modifications. And then the other one I told you about was DNA methylation. So also to put into contact how DNA methylation works is if you have like a cytosine base, which is part of a gene, for example, um, and you add a methyl group to it, then because you've like something is already bound to that cytosine base, so that area of the DNA, the transcriptional machinery isn't able to bind there. So that's a more simple simple way of like how it would decrease expression because if the transcriptional machinery can't bind then it can't read the dna to actually make sure the gene is expressed does that make sense as well yeah so methylation means not expressed if it's not methylated then it can be expressed so that's the general idea so if you learn about epigenetics at school you definitely would have been taught that dna methylation is linked to gene silencing for that reason that if you add a methyl group then your transcriptional machinery can't bind so therefore the dna isn't read however in real world epigenetics that's not always the case but for the sake of today and today's conversation let's go with that idea because it is the most widely accepted thing that yes dna methylation leads to gene silencing okay Cool. And is there another one? Yes, sorry. So the last one is non-coding RNAs, which admittedly, even though I'm an epigeneticist, I actually literally know nothing about. I've never studied them. Um, all I know is that they are small RNA molecules, uh, which play a role in regulating gene expression. So I mentioned identical twins are a great example of epigenetics, but actually you guys are also great examples of epigenetics, as are the listeners. So every single cell in your body is also a really good example of epigenetics, because if you think about it, Uh, every single cell in your body has the exact same DNA. So your heart cell and your liver cell have the exact same DNA. However, they both carry out completely different functions, even though they're genetically identical. And that is also because of epigenetics. Another really great thing is that pretty much every single thing you do in your life can influence your epigenetics. So anything from, I actually read a study about how doing yoga is really beneficial in terms of epigenetics. And for example, all smokers have a particular tag added to their DNA at one gene. Um, So you can actually use epigenetics to detect if someone is a smoker or not, which I think is really cool. So wait, anything you actually do can affect it because sometimes I go through phases where people ask, or we have discussions and they're like, well, you're gonna die anyway. Like you may as well just enjoy life. You may as well just drink that drink. You may as well just have that burger. But you're telling me all these things are actually influencing 
your DNA. I mean, like I just mentioned the the thing about yoga, right? Like, you know how people will say yoga makes me feel good. Yoga has so many like health benefits. Yeah. On like a molecular level, like how does that happen? Like if it's true that it actually has health benefits, like how would that actually happen? Because it either has to be genetics or epigenetics, right? Yeah. So it's got to be epigenetics. Like if there's something, a behavior that you do in your life that actually does like induce health benefits, then it has to be through epigenetics. Damn. So Taz, we are starting that group chat up again <laughs> and we are getting on this yoga. Yeah. Honestly, I did actually read like this really good study. I'll try and find it, which is, yeah, they were literally did this study where they looked at the epigenetic uh, or like the epigenome of people who did yoga versus people who don't. And they found that doing yoga actually had like neuroprotective effects. So... Okay, so what you're saying, Liv, is Adrienne with yoga is, like, super healthy because she just does yoga all the time. Well, she could be. I don't know. This was just one study. Like I said, I think that if there's a lifestyle factor that some study shows that it influences your health in some way, that all has to happen on a molecular level. So if it's not genetics, my view is it has to be epigenetics. Because you can't like drink, say say they said That's like really drink, drinking red wine. I don't, I'm literally just making this up. So don't take this. But say there was a study that says drinking red wine increases your cholesterol levels, right? That mm-hmm. has to happen on a molecular level. So unless drinking red wine somehow changes your DNA and that's how you end up with higher cholesterol levels, it has to happen on an epigenetic level. Like the drinking the red wine must somehow like decrease or increase expression of certain genes involved in like cholesterol do you know what I mean yeah (laughs) yeah Mm. totally get you um obviously we're talking a lot about what we do in our daily life and lifestyle factors and stuff but can and obviously genetics are what is passed down from our parents but like can these epigenetic tags also be passed down So it's always kind of been thought that we aren't really born with many of these tags, um, yet we just kind of acquire them throughout our life, like I've just said. However, this notion is being challenged with this new study that uh, I'm going to talk about today and also a long history of research. So this isn't the first study looking into this idea of epigenetic inheritance, but um, this is kind of like the best study I think we've seen so far in the field. And yeah, like I said, the idea behind it is something that we call epigenetic inheritance. So this is the idea that not only do we inherit DNA from our mum and dad, but we might actually also be inheriting some of these tags that we've been talking about along with the DNA as well. So we get Mm. like half our DNA from our mum and half our DNA from our dad. And we've previously thought that this is just like naked DNA. There's no tags on it. But this study is basically suggesting that we inherit the... DNA with these tags as well, which is super interesting. Yeah. Could you imagine, Taz, once we've been doing yoga for like many months, our kids <laughs> could inherit this good this good tag. Well imagine. Hopefully it's a good tag. <laughs> yeah. Um now weirdly, this idea is super supported in bacteria, fungi, and plants. However, it's widely debated in mammals. And this is because mammals have quite a different kind of is this the word, right word? Their epigenetics is a little bit different to like plants and fungi and stuff. And me as an epigeneticist, I've also been very against the idea of epigenetic inheritance being true. Let me tell you what? why. So like I mentioned, plant and mammalian 
genetic epigenetics are quite different because mammals undergo something that we call epigenetic reprogramming right so this is where there's actually two phases of resetting these tags to actually avoid passing down um family traits so to avoid passing down this information phone so, reset you can your body just yes, resets That's exactly mad. yeah so the first phase occurs in cells that create future eggs and sperm so basically what this means is that there's this total erasure of all of the epigenetic tags in these cells right so it just literally somehow goes like goes through all the dna and it's just like kicking off all these gets, tags yeah just gets rid of all the tags right wow. and then after that the cells rebuild their markings for the next generation now hold that we don't know how that happens but then following fertilization, so once the sperm meets the egg, so once the mom's DNA meets the dad's DNA, there's actually a whole nother round of erasure of the markings. Does that make sense? So basically we have two total erasures mm-hmm. of all of the DNA, methylation, right. or all of the tags on the DNA, right? Mm-hmm. So people are like, well, how can this information be passed on if in mammals, there's this total erasure of DNA methylation. So this doesn't occur in plants and fungi and bacteria. So epigenetic inheritance in plants, fungi and bacteria is very well accepted, like it's very well shown, but people don't believe that it's a thing in mammals because there's this total erasure of information. So this is why epigenetic inheritance has been like a total craze. But if you speak to an actual epigeneticist, most people will say like, no, it can't be true because we have this like erasure. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But then if Mm. it's all being erased, like you're saying epigenetics is that it's passing on these tags. So surely there have to be some tags left. So new evidence has emerged that epigenetic changes, so this new study that we're talking about, that epigenetic changes can be transmitted across multiple generations despite that wipe. So we have the wipe. So the wipe still happens and it does get rid of everything. Yep, but somehow these tags are reappearing, which is actually crazy. Like we don't know how they're reappearing, but they are. So let me tell you about the study, okay? So the study, it was published in Cell, so a really good journal. And basically a group of scientists uh, took a mouse, right? And they uh, basically engineered an epigenetic mutation. So what I mean by this is they've synthetically added a tag to a particular gene, right? Mm -hmm. And then they studied that mouse's offspring to see if there's they saw the same tag like in its grandchildren or its great grandchildren. Oh, that's so they've done this. Yeah. So they've done this using CRISPR-Cas9, which we discussed in our first ever episode of the podcast. So if anyone wants to learn more about that before kind of listening on to the rest of the episode, go and check that out. Yeah. Yaz did a really good uh, summary of CRISPR in that episode. Mm-hmm. So definitely check that out. Yeah, definitely. Um, but the authors claim that this is the first ever experimental evidence for transgenerational epigenetic inheritance using methylation edited mice, which I have to say as an epigeneticist and someone who was extremely interested in this topic, like I would say this is the first good study, right? Oh, that's exciting. So you, when everyone saw it, it was like the whole community were like, this is groundbreaking. Like this, this is cool. This is mad. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so at the start, I told you guys, obese mice inherently make their own grandchildren obese. Okay, so what genes did the scientists actually edit? Well, the scientists actually targeted two genes associated with metabolism in mouse stem cells. So what they did is they went ahead and added DNA methylation, which like I mentioned to you guys at the start, is one type of these epigenetic tags that we have. So they added methylation, so they add a methyl group to uh, these genes. And this is supposed to decrease expression of the genes 
and ultimately therefore should also decrease metabolism right because these genes are involved in metabolism yeah then what they do is they inject these stem cells into embryos put the embryos into surrogate mothers and watch basically to see if the mice are going to get fat as they grow up and lo and behold we ended up with lots of fat mice there's actually no way that sounds so insane that 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 could also be happening with humans if that, yeah. that's basically what they're hinting at, right? That it can happen, happen in mammals. Exactly. Okay, guys, so I want you to appreciate how cool this is. So I have sent you both a picture that I want you to pull up. Yeah. It's in our group chat. For any of the listeners who also would like to see this picture, please go to our Instagram at So Cultured Podcast and go to our highlight called episode figures and you will find this picture here. So if we look on the left-hand side, you'll see that this is the wild type mice. So what this means is that this is a mouse that's had no genetic, or sorry, I should say no epigenetic changes to it. Then on the right-hand side, you will see two, two mice. And the reason for this is that the mouse on the left is the OG edited mouse. The mouse sat right next to it that is also obese is one of its grandchildren. So you can see that Aww. not only has the epigenetic tag actually persisted across generations, but the phenotype has also persisted as well. Which I think is so cool. So just to um, interject here, can you actually check that the DNA methylation is still present? Is there something like a technique yeah, you can check that with? Yeah, absolutely. So what you can do is you, they obviously know where they made the the edit, right? Yeah. Then what they can do is they could take, for example, I'm not quite sure what tissue they took. Uh, it would depend on what tissue you actually made the original edit in because epigenetic marks are tissue specific. So say they made the edit in like, well, they did it in stem cells to be fair. So I don't know, let's say they took like blood of the grandchildren. Then what you can do is you can run some particular like microarrays to assess DNA methylation okay, yeah. um, in the like offspring. And then you can see, you can literally look at like the, the grandfather and the grandchildren and compare where the tags are in, on the DNA to see if the same tag that you put in the grandfather is also present in the grandchild okay yeah so I imagine this was really cool for them because like not only do they see like I said okay the tag has persisted but also the phenotype is still there as well which I think is really cool because yeah they managed to keep all of the mice fat yeah they are chunky basically. like if you can't see the image right now um the wild type mm. mouse is visibly a lot smaller and the the two on the that have had the DNA methylation are definitely yeah. bigger. Pat They're pretty wild. chunky. They're cute. <laughs> they are cute. They're like little gerbils. <laughs> this part for me was really odd. And I want to let you guys in on why uh, this idea is highly debated in our field. I touched on it earlier. So earlier I mentioned that there are two waves of epigenetic reprogramming in mammals. But actually, what I didn't tell you is that during this epigenetic reprogramming, there is a very, very small portion of methylation. So there's a very, very small portion of tags, around 10 to 20 percent that are actually not wiped out. So the reason for this is that DNA methylation is really important in silencing things like retroviral elements, which can be like really detrimental to a genome, as I'm sure you guys know. So you do need like a tiny, tiny bit of methylation sticking around. So yeah, basically most of it is wiped, but a very, very small portion remains. So could it not be that these sites could be hotspots for epigenetic inheritance because they aren't wiped? So then that's surely passed on to the offspring. 
well, this is the really interesting part because this is what everyone has said for years is that if any information is passed down, then it must be at these particular hotspots. So what I mean by that is, so like I said, you've got these little spots where the epigenetic tags remain and everyone would, would have kind of thought that perhaps these hotspots are located in these metabolism genes. And that explains why this particular epigenetic information was passed down. But what the researchers actually found is that they did actually see total erasure of this methylation edit that they made. Mm -hmm. So they did actually see it go, but then somehow um, later on in the embryo's development, the old methylation patterns in the genes that they had modified just randomly like came back out of nowhere which I think is really cool because it suggests that not only is it passed down, but there's also some sort of system that actually has a memory of these lost patterns. So although it wipes them all, there's something somewhere which feels very abstract, but something somewhere actually remembers where they all were and it comes and puts them all back. Now, can I ask a I dumb like question? Is... Go for it, go for I it. No dumb like... questions. <laughs> um yeah I feel like this might be dumb but obviously you mentioned there's three different types of tags so this one is the Mm -hmm. methylation so are there just Mm -hmm. methyl groups that are just like chilling around in the cell how do they know to target or how I just don't get that yeah what does that mean uh so do you mean like how do they know where to go on like where to sit on the genome yeah or like how do they know when to to even for themselves to turn on like do they need a a transcription factor to tell them like we've had some environmental change so you need to like now you targeting something else like why do they even yeah start the process yeah so they're added by enzymes okay um which are called methyl transferases but the whole thing is is so there's certain types of methyl transferases so one of them will basically only add a methyl group during like um the splitting of the cells so uh like you know when your your like dna splits into two and then obviously like it re-replicates like the other side right yeah what's the word i'm looking for what's the (laughs) word guys what's the word mitosis mitosis when mitosis occurs obviously your dna splits into two and then something comes along and it like rebuilds the other half so then you end up with like a full dna structure again yeah yeah? Mm. So one of the enzymes or the methyl transferases, its only job is to go along the new strand of DNA and add um, methyl groups where there is a methyl group on the other strand of DNA. Does that make sense? So it like matches them up. Yeah. But there's another enzyme called, it's also called a methyl transferases and its only job is to add methylation in new spots but basically in answer to your question Yads is like we don't know how it knows yeah we just know that it does it and we know like how it does it but we don't know how it knows and this is I guess the new question that's come from this research is again like if they were completely modified it's not going to be that first methylation uh, that first methyl transferase because it doesn't have anything in reference to yeah so it has to be the methyl transferase that is responsible for putting them in new places yeah but how does it know how to do that? Like, we don't know, which is, yeah, the really cool thing is like, we know there's something floating around in the cells that just knows where to put the information, which is just like crazy. Can I also I ask that. a potentially dumb question? Um, Absolutely. Obviously, you're discussing um, a fetus and like it developing in the womb and stuff. 
could epigenetics be influenced by the fact that the like the blood source is like coming from the mother and you get like um signals within the blood like within the blood that's affecting like epigenetics and stuff so yeah I guess you're kind of hinting that the blood of the mum would somehow pass on that information. I think that this study did kind of account for that because they, um, what they did is, so this kind of goes into like the question of like genetics. So basically what they did is they edited the genes, bred the edited mouse with a non-edited mouse. Yeah. Then basically, I'm trying to make this simple, but they breed a fat male mouse with another random female mouse and then check out their babies but basically anyways the last generation that they actually looked at had no relation to the edited mouse so technically i i I mean that rules out genetics but yeah i guess it doesn't rule out your thing that's a good suggestion taz the thing is as well i've just realized a limitation of my hypothesis shall we say um that you said that the the male mouse was fat right or ob should i say so yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't have access to like the epigenetic signaling from the male mouse because it's being yeah. bred in the female mouse yeah. so yeah so you sorry you just summarized that better than what i was trying to say but yeah i think they basically in their study design they ruled that idea out mm. yeah that makes um, sense so I think there still is the question of like, yeah, what is responsible for ensuring that the cells have this memory? Like, it's super weird. Like, it seems really, really abstract, but basically that is what they've shown. So it's very cool. So, yeah. Because you're saying as well that it it might be genetic, but even then, how would your genes when they're passed down know? Or how would that methyltransferase know, okay, we had it targeted at this previous hotspot or maybe there is something else Mm. that's red I don't really know what I'm saying basically what you're asking is like is there something in your genetics that helps you memorize yeah because you said they're trying to rule it out that it is genetic yeah yeah. so that could be potential thing because I have you guys ever heard of mqtls no so this is yeah this is another big thing in this field is so basically Say, for example, like you have a mutation in a particular gene, right? This can actually have like downstream effects. So if you have a mutation in a particular gene, it can somehow actually in some cases influence methylation at another gene. So that could actually be playing a part. So it could be like a random mutation in a gene that is like unrelated to metabolism that somehow influences methylation in a metabolism gene. So it looks like an epigenetic effect, but actually, truly, it's a genetic effect because it results from the mutation that would be genetically passed down. So, yeah, I don't know. It could still be a genetic effect. But to be honest, I think this study's ruled most of that out. Mm. So It does sound like a good study. It makes me want to study epigenetics. Yeah, you did a really good job of explaining that because I'm interested now. Obviously, we spoke about... um, CRISPR and editing our genome to like change ourselves in certain ways but could you do that with epigenetics? Yeah so the way I've explained it it kind of makes it seem like you can switch DNA methylation on or off on like one particular gene and then it will like have some type of phenotypic phenotypic effect 
So I do think it's pretty cool that they managed to show a phenotypic effect because I don't think it's that simple. Like I think epigenetics is a lot more complex. So say for example, like I wanted to um, change like my hair color. I don't think it's as simple as going in and changing like methylation at one gene. Mm. Like I think you'd have to make loads of different changes across the genome. So you'd have to know like all of the different epigenetic marks that are associated with a particular phenotype. Obviously, in this case, they must have done that because they managed to make the mouse fat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think you could. Like, it definitely could be a thing. So I think in the context of disease, it would definitely be, like, a really interesting um, line of research in the future. Like, I think it will be, like, epigenetic editing will come to, like, personalised medicine for sure. That is so So cool. if you if you wanted to, um, like, if you wanted to transfer one thing that you do in this life to an offspring that you would hope would be epigenetic, what would you want Mm. that to be? To be fair, I don't know what I would pass on to my offspring, but I tell you what I wouldn't pass on, and that's anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) So we need a marker to switch off anxiety. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, please. Because that is actually genetic. That is wild because... But then maybe is anxiety epigenetic because of trauma it causes people to be I think I think yeah like so you know how there's like loads of these diseases where it's like we know that this mutation accounts for like 50% of cases but we don't know what causes the other 50% it's like well that's probably epigenetic Mm -hmm. so anxiety is probably similar like to some degree there's a genetic um influence but then to some degree yeah like people aren't born with anxiety like people well some people are of course but a lot of people will get it in like their late thirties or maybe their late fifties or yeah. you know, but it could as be a result of something well. that you're going through. Like talk yeah, from exactly. how your parents raise you if they're yeah. quite anxious, like don't go near, you know, or don't go by the road, don't do that. Or like obviously that's yeah. just general safety stuff, but some parents are a lot more anxious than others. So maybe it's just what you grow up around as well. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And guys, if you're listening and you wanna learn more about this topic head to Liv's Instagram because she's definitely touched on it before and also we'll always leave the links um, in the description of the podcast as well. Girls, I have some wild laboratory to spill today but First off, I'm going to start by talking about a steamy book that I read recently. And I'm wondering if you guys have read it. Oh my God, where is this gossip section going today? So this book was a, what people are calling a TikTok sensation because it is steamy. It is a bit wild. It's based about a PhD student at Stanford. So the next few things that I'm going to say are probably spoilers. So if you haven't listened, you can just forward it a little bit to not ruin the surprise. Um, But this book is one of those really cheesy, easy reads that I think I read it in two days because I was like, I just want to know what's happening. It's got a few explicit scenes in it. And when you're reading it, you're like, you know, I think I was reading on the train one day and I was looking around being like, I can't be reading this while I'm on the train. Oh my God. What is it it, like 50 Shades (laughs) of Grey vibes? Yeah, it is. And it's all about like a PhD student. So it's really relevant in the science field. She does science. um, You know, she's working in a lab talking about all these things and um, the author is a scientist and it's about this girl and she is um, chatting to this like guy in her lab but he's really standoffish he doesn't really like her Um, but then this like romance starts to happen obviously with these kind of rom-com 
type books. But she goes to a conference at one point in it and she gets approached or moved to basically by this professor and he starts harassing her and she is actually like no like no don't I don't want this and she's basically sexually harassed by this professor at this conference then this professor or this lecturer whoever it was had essentially just said like I'm gonna tell everyone that you sleep around to get further in the field um if you tell people (laughs) I'm gonna literally ruin your career So it's this whole thing of like blackmail. No and way. I'm not saying that exact story is true. I'm sure there's probably cases of it. But recently we've been asking our listeners to write in about any juicy stories, steamy stories that have been happening or just any goss that oh, they I'm know. I'm so excited for this. Oh, we got an what email we got? from one of our listeners. And I'm going to read you their email because honestly, it <laughs> is wild. I cannot believe it. So, okay. And... These girls, Taz and Liv, have not read this yet. So I told them not to check out emails and that I would do it. So I've picked this one. So it basically just says, hey, girls, love the podcast, which is so nice. Thank you very much. Um, (laughs) Feel like I've learned so much already. Really enjoying the laboratory section. Um, So I feel like I had to write in with my wild story. I hope you have the time to read this and to discuss it. Let me just give you some background. So I'm a female and when I was 21 doing my undergrad at a university in England, I witnessed something that I thought was crazy. So every year we have a boat party to celebrate the end of term or the end of year where all students from the same course join the lecturers to party. On this one particular year, we were like all chilling and drinking and um, I had seen one of the students getting close to one of the professors. Well, I didn't really think anything of it because obviously he's a professor and he is married and his wife is in the department too. (laughs) Stop. Oh my God. (laughs) Okay, so so maybe his wife, this isn't from the email, but maybe his wife is like on the boat as well. She's in the same department, like maybe. I don't know. It doesn't say that. But it then says, anyways carried on with the night and it got a bit wild and my friend got a bit too drunk so I took her to the bathroom and as I went there I saw a student coming out of the bathroom dot 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 oh god followed oh, by no. the professor oh, oh no <laughs> stop I don't know what happened but he's known to be a bit flirty long story short he didn't get in trouble from this as he is still a lecturer at this university but he has been banned from the boat party He's been banned. Okay, <laughs> someone must know more. Someone knows more if he's been banned. Have clearly been made. But who, how, how does this even work? So the university are obviously aware that this has happened. But then maybe they've got no evidence because how are you still a lecturer? First of all, can we talk about, is that all kind of dumb? Like, you know, surely, like you said, a small boat, everyone's going to see you. What would you expect? Like, yeah, that is so dumb because you would literally know that everyone could see you. And it's not secretive it's not like you go down under the boat and the toilets are just there i feel so bad for his wife like it said that his wife's in yeah his wife's in the department too and then he's just like i don't know potentially getting as a student on this boat pilot that's so sad (laughs) i feel like this is just a reason enough we really should not be having boat parties with lecturers and students where there's drinking bottles like we just really should be doing it there's no need for it I feel like it should be able because that you should be able to have parties because 
lecturers should know that they're yeah, lecturers and there's boundaries. I've heard way too many horror stories like this one. Like, I think we pretty much all have our own experiences. Like, it just happens way too often. Like, it's crazy. I think the point is as well, at university, they're of legal age. Yeah. And I'm assuming this was consensual. So yeah. it then becomes a problem of, well, they're in their, like, 20s, I'm assuming. So it isn't illegal, but it's this, like you say, it has about marking university or like exams that is just such a power play live what do you mean by stories that you've heard yeah i don't know I, no, it's the way i said we've all got experiences of our own like let's be very clear like i have not you know fraternized with a professor in a in a bathroom on a boat let's make that very clear i just meant like we've all had stories like I don't know, yeah, you do. Like, you see, like, professors and students getting bare clothes and you're like, uh, that looks a bit questionable. Or, I don't know, yeah, I've definitely heard stories. But to be fair, like you said, we're assuming that this situation is um, consensual, which I haven't experienced or seen that myself. I do hear all the time about people going to their supervisor's house for parties and barbecues and things like that. So I think it is quite common. Yeah, just not common to be seen walking out of the <laughs> toilet with your professor. But it's a, maybe it's a slippery slope. Maybe if you go to one barbecue, two barbecue, they start leaning in when their teachers need to prepare. And, you know, <laughs> before you know it, you're in the bathroom with them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to judge because, like, you know, as long as they're two consenting adults and they... For me, it's a, it's a no-go. I'm not doing that at all, but... Yeah, I just feel like no matter what industry you're in, just mix in I mean, the uh, business and the pleasure. What if he's really fit? What if he's a deal? Though, as well, like, you, you can't, like, you can be, like, fr- friendly with your... If, did you just say if it's a deal? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but wait, oh. wait, it doesn't have to be old. Like, professors can be in their 30s, and I'm 30 next year, so... He could, he's of age to have children. He could still be a dog. <laughs> so. Um, if he was well fit. Yes, look, now you're like, maybe. <laughs> yes, is questioning everything now. Did you now. guys see that? Um, like, ages, like, honestly, ages ago, I think I was still in school, and it was this Oxford lecturer, and he did, he lectured maths, I think. And he had literally, I think, only just graduated uni himself. And he was like an actual model. And he was an absolute spice. I can't remember his name. I'm going to look him up right now and then I'll tell you and then you guys can... So basically, Taz, what you're saying is if that was your professor, then maybe... Maybe they'll be consensual. Well, I'll I'll let you see the picture and you can Okay, okay. Okay. He's called (laughs) Pietro... Bozzelli, P-I-E-T-R-O space B-O-S-E-L-L-I. Oh! <laughs> Wait, hold on. What? The title of this article that Taz has just sent us is World's Hottest <laughs> Math Teacher. Like, what? That that title is goals. World's yeah, Hottest Marine Microbiologist. Yes, obviously... <laughs> Could you imagine? I would die. <laughs> this came out in June 2015, so it obviously uh, left a mark on my memory. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Taz, I know for sure you've been in the bathroom with Pietro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. No comment, no but comment. But then does that make it difficult? 
that makes it difficult, right? That there's such blurred lines. Like if you find your professor a bit of a hottie. Exactly. Well, we don't know what this um, guy on the boat party looked like. So I don't think we should judge. He could be the world's hottest science teacher. It could have been this guy. <laughs> <laughs> that could oh be the story. God. That No, I'm joking. I'm joking. We can't. We don't know who it was. Um, but maybe he was a proper ditty <laughs> or hottie, like 10 out of 10. Um but I feel oh like... Oh my God, no, sorry. I'm just reading this article. It's so funny. Um, <laughs> what was the subject of your PhD? He's got a PhD, guys. Are you impressed? Yeah, I am. No, go lie. He said, I specialise... Oh, this might be a bit of you, Liv. I specialise in computational fluid dynamics and more specifically as applied to the design of turbo machinery. My PhD research consists of the modelling of wet steam flow in large turbines. Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and the invention of new algorithms to automatically modify turbine blades during the simulation of the fluid flow. Wait, wait, wait. The wet steam flow sounded like something that would be in the Love Hypothesis book. That is. <laughs> so um, what are we saying? That if he is a hottie, you if can... If he's fit, go for it. Consen <laughs> consensual, consensual, you know, student lecturer. You're all, both of age. You think like, yeah, it's fine. Or there are bigger problems because he's going to be well, marking your in essays. this scenario, absolutely not. Because <laughs> firstly, he's married. Um... That's like the main point for me, I think. Yeah, he's married in this situation, but... Morally, it's wrong, and we do not advise that you sleep with any of your professors. Um, but, you know, you're all consenting adults, and you can make your own decisions. That's our conclusion, I think. I think so. But thank you so much for sharing your story with us. That was literally so fun to uh, hear all about it. And if anyone else has yeah. any stories that they want us to discuss read out it doesn't have to be as crazy as this it can literally just be anything that you want to share with us and we will react to it on air so you can email us at socultured at gmail.com or you can dm us on x or instagram at socultured thanks so much for tuning in to episode three of so Culture podcast if you want to join us next wednesday we will have a new science and gossip section taz what will we be learning about next week yeah so next week we'll be looking at science looking into ancestral dna and how that impacts us now in the modern age um, in relation to diseases as well make sure you follow us on your favorite streaming platform and we will see you guys next week You've been listening to the So Cultured podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure you listen in next week for more science and tech updates and the hottest laboratory. You can stay up to date with us in between episodes by following us on Instagram and X at So Cultured Podcast. See you back here same time next week.